When no one's heard about your product and it's the first of a kind, how do you describe it to a cool audience? How do you educate and reach them? When BigPay, a consumer-facing neobank based in Malaysia, launched four years ago, no one knew what a neobank was. At that time, digital banks were still a very new thing. The first marketing play BigPay relied on was referrals. And as you'll hear from Jonathan, head of marketing at BigPay, referrals worked really well, especially when certain travel bloggers realized they could make money referring readers to BigPay. One blogger referred over 8,000 people. As John says himself, these bloggers did a lot of the heavy lifting to get BigPay off the ground and acquiring customers at the beginning. When no one's heard of your product type, it seems referrals are still the way to go. In today's episode, I chat with John about how BigPay implemented referrals when they first started, their recurring payday campaigns they implemented, and why he thinks content marketing is so difficult and why BigPay has struggled with it as an acquisition strategy. I've known John since 2019 when I was uh, living in Kuala Lumpur for a few months. And I even helped Big Pay myself with some of their articles and website copy. So it was really nice to connect with him again. John is a great marketer and a really inspiring person. I highly recommend checking out his medium. I'll add the link in the show notes. You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast where I explore how fintech marketers are using marketing to help fintech companies fulfill their mission of democratizing finance. I am your host, Araminta Robertson, partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. Let's hear from John. So Jonathan, on your LinkedIn profile, you say that according to the Plum Assessment, uh, your three professional talents are conflict resolution, teamwork, and embracing adversity, which I love. What is the Plum Assessment? Plum Assessment is uh, actually, it's a bit of a psychology tests uh, and some recruiters or some employers use it with you know either candidates or employees in order to sort of determine what kind of profile other people that they're hiring um, have and so it gives you like three big uh, professional qualities and then you know you have like a bigger descript- description of each of them and they also tell you like what kind of working environment where uh, where you would be fitting in the most which is really good and really really helpful um and i've done it just you know out of curiosity um i think during the summer i had a lot of fun uh and you know usually like the sort of like uh, assessments that you do when 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 you're applying for a job for instance uh it's a lot of the same questions like you know rank these from what applies to you the most to what applies to you the least it's very very boring it's always the same questions yeah. it's always like the variation of the same question but the plum assessment is really fun because it's also like some uh um like you know math tests or like visual tests that you need to perform and so it's like it's it's yeah it's it's a bit of a brain tease and uh um i i enjoyed it and honestly i encourage it like everyone to just go and do it it's free and it'll you know the best you'll learn some stuff about yourself and the worst like you you have some stuff you can put in your linkedin bio like myself and like every time you're hired you ask someone to to do a plum assessment no actually i should but i it's it's something that i I do really uh, believe in, um, and and especially when it comes to hiring people from my team. Like, sure, there's like the skills that someone has, like you know the um, 
the, the, the soft skills and the hard skills, but like hard skills are one thing, but I think really how that, per- that person is going to fit within the team. But, and and when I say fit, it doesn't mean that you need to hire people who look and talk the same. Like I actually really, really believe in diversity when you hire uh, people for your team, because like the more diverse your teams are, the better prepared you are for adapting to different circumstances, to marketing to different kind of people and stuff like that. But there's got to be a few common traits or like, you know, things that you look out for and that you look out for in people that you want to hire for your team. And so I think definitely from assessment is something that I would like to implement at some point uh, for people in my team, just so, you know, I can, and I can, I can, I can try and, and, and look for some qualities. I know that as an employer and the plum assessment as well, you can say, I want to look for like, you know, I want to look for people who are more mm. like this. Um, and so when you give a link to someone, or that you want to hire, uh, then there's going to be a match between the person's response and like your criteria as an employer. And so it gives you a bit, a bit of an understanding of, uh, of whether the person's going to fit or not. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about hiring and managing teams later on, but uh, yeah, it's probably a good way of assessing, you know, if someone's going to work in a team or not. So yeah, okay. I, m- I might do it actually. I haven't done it. Yeah. So today I wanted to talk about like three, we're going to talk about three main plays that you know, it's not just big pay in general, what you're doing at big pay, but also just three plays that you're a fan of and that you think mm-hmm. work well in the fintech world. Um, yeah. And the first one we're going to talk about is referrals. And it feels like like every fintech under the sun is doing referrals. It's what got Monzo to, I don't know, 50K on the wait list, right? That's the famous yeah. um, example. Is our referrals still a good approach, you think? So I think... You know, generally, referrals are a no-brainer. It's something that yeah. um, almost every every fintech, even if you're B2B fintech, it's something that you, you, you should look into and you should think about. But you should also do it in a smart way um, in the sense that like, referrals can really help with the variety of your of your products, uh, for sure. Uh, but there's many ways to do it, right? So it depends, like, what is the referral action that you're that you're asking people to do? And so it also depends at what stage you're at in your fintech. So if you just launch and you just want to get, you know, you want to show user growth, for instance, uh, for your investors, because, you know, you want to do round and blah, blah, then put the referral action as, like, a very very low hanging fruit. So for us, for instance, for Big Bay, when we started out, it's like give someone your code. If they sign up and they activate their card, they'll get ten ringgit. You get ten ringgit. So you know, activating the card was like a really key action for us because that was a really good metric that we wanted to put in front of uh, of investors, for instance. But as you move down in, in the life cycle of your of your own fintech, for instance, and you you have like enough users, let's say, and you want to focus more on the quality of users, you can sort of you can start gamifying that referral process as well. And you can say, I'm going to give you a little bit of money when you do this action. But let's say, you know, if you perform an international bank transfer or if you buy something online, we'll give you, you know, five bucks or ten bucks as a as a cashback. Um, and so because you if you have the data, if you understand that these actions are actually really significant actions for you as a business, and you understand that they're going to, it's going to drive more retentions, for instance. So if someone who performs a card payment in the first 30 days with your company is more likely to stay for three months, uh, you know, than, than just turning out after one month, then put a little price tag on that first action that's really, really important for you. Make it a part of your CAC, like your cost of acquisition, and then you can really, really increase or improve the, the quality of your customers. Uh, so I still think that Refl is, you know, it's a really important play for, uh, for fintechs, but it requires a little bit of thinking, a little bit of data, and a little bit of understanding of, uh, of uh, consumer insight. I think the other thing that's that's really interesting is that doing referral well 
really highlights the need for cooperation between different departments of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of companies, right? So it's like marketing is one thing because marketing puts a message in front of people uh, and sometimes own CRM and stuff like that. But you also need to um, adapt the product experience and the customer experience. It's how do you work with your product teams in order to, you know, make that wrestle uh, experience like something that's engaging and in line with your business objective. How do you use your data science team? How do you get the support and the buy-in of, it, of your tech teams as well to put in the time and uh, just allocate the resources to uh, work on this because, like, oftentimes, especially early stages uh, startups or fintechs, like tech teams are just overloaded with work, and so priorities are really, really important. How do you make those teams understand that uh, actually working on this is is going to be key for uh, a number of metrics that are going to allow the, the business to thrive? So how how did you set it up at BigPay? Like, did you do referrals right from the beginning? Did you gamify it? So very, very early on, I think in the first like four or five months, you know, we, we agreed that our referral system or referral program was going to be really important. And one of the reasons for this is that we saw that there was like a small community, online community in Malaysia of people who were using BigPay for uh, certain purposes, but they were really active, really enthusiastic, really going into details. You know, they, like every time we'd release a, 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 a new ad version, they would go and, and report on the changes and stuff like that. And so we knew that if we put uh, a raffle uh, program out there, like these people would pick it up with a little bit of help. Um, so we did it in the first four months at Big Bay, and lo and behold, like these people really, really picked up on it, and so they started you know, referring people. But some, like for instance, something that we didn't expect is we saw some big time bloggers in Asia, and like one guy in particular in the beginning who had, uh, who still has actually a blog, uh, a travel blog, and he was just giving you know tips on like how to get cheaper flights and how to get best and stuff like that. And he started becoming a big pay user. And then he started, using, he started putting money behind his own referral code as well. And so this guy referred, successfully referred like more than 8,000 people, I think, in, in the wow. first year. Yeah, which is insane. Like, you know, yeah. it's a huge, like, it was a big proportion of, uh, of, of our user acquisition was really, really, really going viral with this guy. And so, and these were good customers as well that he was referring because he was referring them not only for the money, but for saying like, if you travel abroad, you're going to get better exchange rate, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, really good use case for, um, uh, for us. And so we started talking to this guy as well. And so we started, you know, giving him like, um, swag. We just started uh, letting him know, look at this, this that's coming out. And so, you know, giving him like early material so that he could uh, uh, get the blog post ready in advance and, and, and advertising material in advance for him to uh, uh, publish through uh, to his, uh, his uh, user base. So that was really, really cool, really, you know, like incredibly beneficial for us. And as I said, like, I think the threshold at the beginning we put was just activating the car. It's like, it's not, it's not say a super low threshold but it's really really important for us that people uh, actually took that action it was low enough that we actually saw a really really big impact of uh, that referral program and yeah it's it's something that was really, really key to our success i think in the first uh in the first year and a uh, year and a half for sure so I, i'm i'm hearing two key things here which is you know your 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 metric was card activation which i think makes yeah. a lot of sense and is is a yeah. good uh measure of you know real customer acquisition and then also accidental influencer marketing <laughs> for sure right? yeah. um, it was kind of accidental but at the same time it kind of shows the power of like leveraging other people's audiences uh did you purposefully go out there and say okay now let's find some other influencers and see if we can partner with them or was it just that one 
Look, the, the thing is, I wish I could tell you that, yes, we did that. But the thing is, like, those, all those people actually came to us and we started wow. seeing huge numbers from, you know, like five, ten, uh, ten blogs. And these are, wow. like, coincidentally the biggest, biggest, some of the biggest blogs in Malaysia. And these people really started using uh, uh, their platform in order to make a side hustle, which is with big pay by referring people. And so they came to us. And so we didn't have to do like a lot of work, nice. which was like, you know, great, uh, great for me, obviously, like, you know, small team, uh, not necessarily a lot of budget. So in the beginning, you know, really crunched in terms of uh, of what, what you can focus on. And so having those people doing most of the marketing work for us with very, very little input uh, proved to be really, really instrumental to uh, to the success and i still attributed that success to the you know like part of the marketing team which is uh <laughs> which is which is which is good for us but i mean you know jo jokes aside it's just it's i think even now like if i had to do it all over again in a new fintech or somewhere else like one of the first things that i would i would still look at is a raffle program for sure i think and maybe that's you know part uh, probably, and uh, you probably see it in 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 England as well with Revolut. Now they've been pushing the raffle program as well, and so but the, the 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 conditions under which you can claim your prize are pretty strict. So you know, it's, really? you need to refer someone. Person needs to activate the card. They need to add money to your account. They need to make two transactions, and so you know you can earn more more money, but it's just that. You really need to follow up, like you know, if you're trying to refer your your your, your friends for a quick buck, it's going to be a lot of work for uh, to get them to actually do all these things for you to get uh, get that money back, which is fair enough, you know, and um, and it's probably smart for them. And I'm sure they're still getting seeing traction for this. It's just finding that balance between uh, something that's easy enough with not so much friction, so you can get people a bit of a taste of what your app is like, uh, and then hopefully hook them. And you know, as long as like they're part of your customer list, you have other means of uh, contacting them and uh, and uh, and retaining them. But if even when you're just reading the rules of like how you can get the money, it seems like it's too long and too complicated. It can also be a, 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 a deterring factor. I think the main thing here is that it worked really well because first of all, it's it's Malaysia where there is lower competition of like B2C neobanks, right? Yeah. Um, and it was a very new concept at the time. What is this, like two or three years ago? And so- Four years ago now. Four years ago. Yeah. And yeah. so bloggers are like, I can imagine like being a former blogger myself, I can imagine them being like, oh my God, this is amazing. I actually want my audience to use this because I know it's going to benefit them so much and that's going to benefit me because they're going to like me more. And it's like this never ending, you know, positive flywheel. Whereas in the UK, like I, I, cause I, you know, fintechs in the UK are doing this all the time, influencer marketing, leveraging influencers in the US also, but I don't think it works as well anymore just because like there's so many options on the market. Um, I mean, it probably works really well still, but I think it works especially well. And this is why you had influencers going to you because you were like the only option. Big Pay was the only option, really. And and it was so novel and so new that it was like, yes, we want to share this right now. So I guess the takeaway is if you're in a market where this is, you know, you're building something completely new and it's B2C and you know it's you know your audience is gonna love it, then leverage, then the leverage with influencers is like enormous. It's practically your entire marketing. They do the marketing for you, basically. Would you, would yeah, you for sure. So I'll say this, like being the first doing something in a, in, in, in the market and, you know, speaking for Big Bay in Malaysia, where like that model 
of new bank credit card, low exchange rates, stuff like that with, with a mobile app was really new indeed because like the rest of the competition that we had were more like, you know, wallets, uh, scanning yeah. QR codes and stuff like that. So very, very different use cases. So when you're the first to do something, you need to do a lot of education around uh, who you yeah. are, what your benefits are, like, you know, how can you use us, whether when you're the second or the third, like there's someone else that's already done part of the work. And so you can just, you know, sort of like latch on to 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 communication that they've done so for us it was really really about communicating like what's big pay what can you really do with it mm-hmm. and how how can you really can, can it be beneficial um to your daily life so there was a lot of work to be done on this and i think that's why the bloggers that really caught on the uh, raffle program were bloggers were talking about travel um, you know, because it's not the same as in Europe where like Belgium, you go to France or you go to uh, Netherlands is the same currency like in Asia. In one hour, you you can be in Thailand, you can be in Singapore, you can be in Indonesia, you can be, you know, so like all these different uh, places. And usually what people would, would do, they would go to money changers like a few days in, in advance and you would see those huge lines like uh, in malls, like in front of money changers. Uh, you'd wait, you know, one hour to uh, change your money for your, uh, your two-day trip to Bangkok. And so like those bloggers were essentially pushing that as as an option and say, look, you know, you land into Bangkok, you open your app, you see the exchange rate you're getting is the same as exit.com. Instead of like, no, so it was like the benefits for users was really, really tangible in the context of travel. Like the change that we had yeah. afterwards was more like, how can Big Pay be beneficial to you in your daily life when you're not traveling? Uh, when 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 you're in Malaysia, like, you know, what can you do? Um, how, how can we really help you? But yeah, so I think, you know, you would say like you want to be the first one to solve the, the problem. I agree. It, it's 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 you know it's uh it's a great differentiator. At the same time, you spend a lot more time, a lot more work, just educating your uh, your, your potential users. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Although that's why bloggers are especially useful because they're constantly educating. Like the people who read blogs, personal finance blogs, are seeking education. They're wanting to be educated. So that's why they were very high quality. Probably. So that's what that's what works. Yeah, and I think that's uh that's you know that's another thing that's worth saying is that for me, influencers in the forms of bloggers are oftentimes oftentimes lead to better quality users than mm. say I'm not a big fan. It's probably just you know because of my personal experience of like IG influencers, uh, you know, stuff like that. Like I I find it very, very hard to harness uh, their their power. It probably needs like a lot more like a stronger relationship over time, uh, so that they can build sort of a, a narratives with their audience. But like with a blogger, there's an intense someone who lands on the blog is already searching for something that's gonna that's that's important or interesting to them. And so if you find that sort of answer on the blog, and you're like, okay, cool, yeah, that actually solves my mm. issue. The intent behind it is a lot stronger than if you see yeah. an IGTV of someone saying, Yeah, hey, I just got big pay. If you sign up mm. using your full code, you can get communicated, blah 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 blah. Uh, where it's you know it's more like it's pushed it's an obvious in front of your eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, that's just a good podcast uh, topic for another day, like the different types of influencers and what is best for what. Uh, Instagram is more push, more, you could say, cold, outbound, whereas uh, bloggers are more inbound. And that's like content marketing in general, which we'll talk about in a second. So, Um, But second play I want to talk about is uh, recurring payday campaigns, which you've mentioned. Yeah you're a big fan of. And I think that 
they are a perfect example of how, I mean, one of the big benefits of fintech companies is that they have a lot of data to play with, right? And a lot of data that can then be used for marketing. So before we get started, what, what, what do you mean by recurring payday campaigns? What is that? So I'll just, you know, maybe uh, explain how we got to understand that this was actually a play for us. And, you know, okay, it might be sure. obvious to a lot of people, but it wasn't necessarily obvious to me, at least. Yeah. Um, and so when we first got our data lake into place and we had dashboards and stuff like that, you know, it was pretty early on into Big Bay, but, you know, we didn't have it straight from the beginning. And so we started looking at uh, our transaction volume per day uh, over a long period of time. And so systematically over payday, it would be a spike. Um, and so you would really see like, you know, transaction volume going up, up, up for like the five, five, 10 days at the end of the month, beginning of the month where people get their money to bank account. Because that's when, you know, you've had something in your cart for, uh, for, for, for a month and then suddenly you have, you, you, you get your salary and it's time to, to buy it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so we started seeing this and so we started seeing like different merchants being a lot higher, um, at, you know, during some period of the month as well. And so we started thinking, okay, how can we maximize this, you know, one of the best way should we try to focus on increasing transaction volume around between the 10th and, and the 20th of the month? Probably not. It's probably best if we just, you know, if we have a partnership coming up with an e-com website or, you know, I don't know, like you're an, an airline or whatever it is, it's probably best to push it at a moment where people have money to the bank account and the decision is going to be a lot easier for them. It's even something that we saw in user acquisition user acquisition costs tend to go down towards the end of the month because you know for us you need to add money to your bank account and so that's already even if it's a small amount of money that's already like a money decision that you need to make yeah and so in terms of recurring payday campaigns um and i'm sure that you know if you ask someone from i don't know like transfer wise or anything they will probably see that 40 percent of their transaction volume comes from a 10-day period at the end of the month uh, and that's just normal you know you get your salary you send money home you send money to your friends you like whatever it is um and so for us every month we you know i'm almost on a daily basis we track gtv uh, compared to last month how are we doing blah blah and so always a focus uh towards the end of the month on driving like specific merchants certain merchants and so you know like it really guided like the type of partnerships that we're uh, trying to strike um so you know obviously trying to um, partner up with uh, merchants that are good for us especially towards the end of the month and then pushing that message just at the right time for users or you see it just when they're about to get the money uh, into the bank account so that they suddenly were in their mind at a moment where they they, 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 they have the money to make the, that, that purchase decision. And it can, can take a lot of different shape and you can be really, really creative with it. Um, applies to not only payments, but I think international bank transfers and probably even like, mm. you know, even if you look at our credit or lending, like people repaying. It's 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 something that can apply to a lot of different uh, uh, domains. It's really up to the kind of country that you are, uh, the kind of fintech that you are, just look at the data that you have, and I'm sure you'll find a way to uh, um, take uh, um, advantage of, uh, of payday campaigns. So when you say payday campaigns, then that means working with your partners and purposefully launching those campaigns at the end and at the beginning of the month. Right, that's what you're saying. Yeah, it's 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 either that or it's sending like a subtle reminder of uh, you know some of the key benefits that we have uh, that can be beneficial to some behaviors that typically happen towards the end of the month. Um, so you know it doesn't necessarily have to be like co-branded with a with, with another company, but for instance, we have international transfers, and so just reminding people or even running like a free transfer campaign. 
uh, you know, on certain corridors at the end of the month is, is something that drives tangible results for, for, for companies like ours. Yeah. Can you, can you use an example of a merchant? Uh, like you said, international uh, transfers, but yeah, is there an example of a merchant that you launched a payday campaign with? I mean, if I'm thinking of, uh, you know, if I'm thinking of, uh, of payments, for instance, typically you want to partner up with the big e-com players. And even you're even seeing now, at least in Southeast Asia, those big e-commerce players launching their own payday campaigns. Because I think, you know, you're probably seeing the mm. same trend for them that they're like, they're seeing increased volumes uh, um, uh, towards the end of the month, which is a bit counterintuitive. Because in Asia, for instance, like one one two two three three four four, like you know the fourth of April, the fifth of May, the sixth of June, these are big uh, online uh, online uh, sales campaign, yeah. and something that uh, you know in Europe like this Black Friday, and then it's probably that's it. Uh, <laughs> but like in yeah. in Asia, it's like every month there's a big online uh, oh, wow. online shopping day. Yeah, but like some of these, you know, some of these obviously. You know, 10, 10, 11, 11, it's like the middle of the month. So it's not necessarily the best time for people mm. to uh, to be buying stuff. And so you're seeing now those big e-commerce players launching payday campaigns systematically towards the end of the month with promos with discounts. So for us, like the play would be very simple. It's like, you know, let's talk to Shopee, let's talk to Lazada, you know, which is like the, a local Amazon uh, uh, sort of uh, competitors that are huge in Southeast Asia and uh, and run, uh, run campaigns with them, like specific promotions just when you pay big pay card and so you know they would detect the bin range of big pay and if you check out with your big pay card then you get a certain amount of discounts and stuff like that so like this is you know very simple but very very effective way of uh, of making use of uh, of uh, recurring payday campaigns yeah and in- increasing engagement essentially that is the objective right and using yeah for sure for sure and you can use it in many different ways you can use it to you know drive more transactions from very active users you can use it to reactivate uh people who have churned or, you know who haven't been active with you in, in in the last month or the last two months or three months and so you know there's many many different ways you can use those recurring campaigns to drive like important metrics for uh for the marketing team but for the business in general for sure yeah um okay so and our third play is content so i mean you're talking to a content marketer so obviously a big fan of this i know that you value content a lot and you mentioned that interestingly it's hard to get right. And even at big pay, you're not sure you got it right. So can you yeah. ex- uh, expand a bit on that? What do you mean? Yeah, for sure. I think I I haven't seen one fintech in Southeast Asia that's really nailed uh, content marketing for the masses, for the public. I mean, you know, um, I think it's it's tough in the sense that you you almost need to hire uh, like an editorial team, right? You need to have like an editorial chief, you need to have writers, and then you have you need to really plan out your content, not not for the next week, but for the next year. With and you need to be really focused in terms of like personas, uh, the content that you're 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 you're, you're going to create needs to be like really attractive, really easy to digest, and stuff like that. And so it hasn't been done, um, and I think it's still tough for fintech companies to really think about content marketing like that. Uh, you know, like we're still thinking about and. I, Honestly, I'm I'm so sick of like listicles, like you know, four ways you can save money this Christmas. It's it doesn't bring anything. Uh, it's not useful. Uh, it's not financial education at all. Like I'm a firm believer believer that if you craft content personas and you work on creating content for the life stage that these the, like 
these personas are at and provide like real free content, but really good value coming from experts in the field. And then you, you really have big play, big organic play uh, that's going to drive not only massive or, you know, I mean, you would, you would probably know more in terms of like how much news acquisition or lead generation you can generate, but just in terms even of, uh, of brand awareness uh, for, mm. for, for, for your company, and especially in Southeast Asia, like um, financial inclusion is such a big deal. Such like you know much more than Europe or any like anywhere else. Yes. A lot more underbanked, a lot more unbanked people, and so everybody talks about financial inclusion when it comes to talking to the regulators because everybody wants to be seen very well by the regulators. But it's very very uh, that's helping uh, everyday people understanding their their money more, their finances more, like the money behaviors more. And so the best example I have is actually like a project that I worked on before Big Bay, where it, it's and it's it was for a bank. So kudos, kudos for you know you always, we always say like as you know when you're in fintech you always say that uh, banks they all they move slow they don't do things uh, uh, good enough and stuff like that. But uh, back then we crafted 21 uh, personas and so based on your life stage you know uh if you're about to buy your first house if you're about to uh go and you know launch yourself as a freelancer we created individual websites um with dedicated uh editorial team and writers for each of these websites and with new content like three new articles coming out every week and wow. we did this for like uh, a year so you know and in three languages so essentially creating like thousands of pages uh, um, every month but in terms of traffic in terms of brand awareness in terms of lead generation from the bank like the results starting to be they started to be like absolutely insane and it's a long play you know because you need to set up all this website that has a lot of like upfront costs having the team starting to create the content make sure you get the buying from, from the business for each of the uh, 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 content pieces that you're pushing out so yeah it's just it's a lot of upfront investment for a return that's going to be later in in, in in the life stage of your of your fintechs. So I understand why, you know, there are more fintechs that are actually heavily investing in this. Uh, it's just a practical decision in the sense that you have cash for the next you know, you have runway for the next six months, one year, maybe you know more if you're lucky. So, do you really want to invest in something that's going to potentially drive results in one year, one year and a half from now? Probably not. But if you can, it's. I really believe that's actually one of the best decisions you can uh, you can make. Yeah. So at Big Pay, you're not actively. I mean, you do publish blogs here and there, but you're not actively investing in content. You're just like. So it's something that we're changing now, and so um, actually hired someone very very recently uh, to drive that uh, um, and drive that whole financial education uh, uh, piece, um, and so you know. We're conscious with the support from management, and I think we've had the support from the management for a long time uh, when yeah. it comes to that idea. It's just finding the right person. Is it the right moment? Do we have other priorities and all these things? Um, and then, like I think now, like finally things are falling into place, and we have a person dedicated, and she's gonna, you know, be really pushing that uh, that financial education content uh, for us in Angle, and. We'll see what the exact shape it takes, you know, still like discussing some details and stuff like that. But I'm convinced that the, the sort of return on, on our investment is going to be uh, invaluable. I mean, you've mentioned several languages, like in Malaysia, the brief time that I was living there. Uh, first of all, I was very impressed that every, like a lot of people speak English, which means that, yeah. you know, you, you can write a blog in English. It's doable and people will read it. But there are several, like there's several languages spoken there. So how, yeah, how does one navigate that? 
And how do you think you'll navigate it? Or how does your, how will the new content person navigate it? I think one of the keys is really to be uh, going to be able to localize that content. Uh, mm. You know, like Bahasa, Bahasa Malaysia is like, it's, it's the, one of the main languages. And it's also uh, where we need to do the most um, education when it comes to uh, uh, financial uh, services. So definitely the goal will be to at some point have a team that's dedicated to creating content and translating in or localizing it in both in both languages uh for, for malaysia i think if you don't do it you're really missing a huge part of your potential audience like it's you know even in your native language uh when you're not familiar with uh, financial services reading like financial education is hard enough uh but if you've yeah. been raised in bahasa Melayu and it doesn't matter like you know of course like you can speak english really well you've, you've learned the school you've spoken it your entire life uh but it's always going to be easier for you to just read that into in, in your in your native languages so if you if we were to not do it in in in, in local languages in all local languages we would basically be hitting the uh, missing the mark for me and so that's also something that you know from a logistics standpoint it adds a layer mm. of complexity yeah. uh, from seo from you know finding translators and stuff like that and having a website that allows you to have this in different languages so yeah it's complicated for sure uh, is it worth it 100 mm. yeah i see i see companies like n26 do it or revolut these large b2c fintechs that are you know, trying to expand and it's impressive. Like, yeah, N26, I think has a blog in Spanish, one in French, one in yeah. um, German possibly. But yeah, it's definitely, you need an entire team for each country. And on the topic of like ROIs, like even in my own work doing this for other fintech companies, I've realized that the thing is that when we think of content, we think, right, let's just start educating. Let's just start with, I don't know, how to save yeah. money or how to invest. But actually... And I've changed a little bit my model of how I work now with clients where actually we focus now on, on lead generation, like from the beginning, like at the beginning, mm. we just want customer acquisition. And how do you do that? You start by creating content that focuses on really specific pain points. Mm. Um, so for example, instead of creating an article, you know, how to save money, you would create an article that is like best digital banks something like that. Someone who's yeah. researching that in Malaysia is ready to sign up, right? Yeah. They're just trying to figure out the best one. So in, in SEO world, we call that, you know, bottom of the funnel or, you know, transactional keywords, whatever you want to call it. But the point is start by creating content that is really focused on like people that are ready to convert. And then you can start seeing your ROI really, really quickly. And it just makes more sense. It's just easier to also prioritize. And then eventually, once you've done all the bottom of the funnel stuff, that's when you do more top of the funnel. And it's just, I've noticed that this is an easier way to work because if not, it can get, it can take years and people don't know what they're doing. And it's just like yeah. all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I 100% uh, agree with you. And I really like the idea that, you know, you talking about like focusing around those customers uh customer pain points first i i'll even think that this is how companies should be structured like you know within yeah. a fintech company i think you should have small startups that are focused on customer pain points and i like the way how wise did for instance by introducing interest on the money that sits in your wise account is like they you know understood that there was this customer pain points like you have money in your wallet account it's not doing anything for you so what can we do to actually like solve that customer problem and they put people from 
every uh, teams around around the table and they created this mini startup within Wise to say, okay, we have someone from marketing, from product, from tech, from sales, from operations, blah, blah, blah. And this is the customer problem that we have. How do we solve it? And then, you know, all these people coming together, uh, finding a solution and then driving it home. And, and in my mind, this is how, like, especially if you're a B2C uh, uh, company, this is how like you, you should you should structure your teams. You can still have you know marketing departments because I think it's important to have like reporting lines and 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 sort of consistency in the way you do things. Uh, but in every like in your everyday interactions with with uh, other people in your company, it's best if you focus around a customer issue rather than your area of work, if that makes sense. Because otherwise, you can really yes. quickly get lost. If if you work in marketing, like what do I start? You know, talking about uh, first, or what do I start writing about first? But if you work as a marketeer in the mini startup that focuses on people have money in their wise account, but it doesn't do anything for them, like suddenly the topics that you want to be talking about are a lot easier. Like it's you know, it's 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 a lot more understandable. Like these like it's much more straightforward in terms of uh, in terms of what 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 your work needs to be. Yeah, I think they call that like two pizza teams, where you've got uh, so teams that are big enough or small enough that they can feed two pizzas which is like six people, I guess. And it's one person from each department and it's something like that. But yeah, I, I start up within a startup. I've never done that myself, but I be, I'd love to experience it just to see how people think a lot differently, right? When it's yeah. like a lot of different departments. Yeah. My, my last question on this topic is who do you think is doing a really good job in terms of content in B2C fintech? Hmm. I don't think it's necessarily fintech, but in Singapore, this, uh, this, uh, uh, website, but I think it started with a uh, Instagram page. It's called the Woke Salary Man. Um, the Woke Salary Man. Wow. The Woke nice. Salary Man. And if you haven't <laughs> checked it, like I urge you when to go onto their page and read because yes. it's financial education in the forms of like comics and. It's honestly the most actionable, entertaining, sort of like relatable financial education content that I've like I've ever seen. Period. And you nice. know, there's obviously like a, a, a team behind it now. I think they probably start like they probably started as a really really small team, uh, but now they're getting bigger. Um, and it's just it's the perfect way of delivering actionable stuff in a bite-sized way for people who are on the go on their phones like you know like mindlessly scrolling instagram and then suddenly it's like stick figures that expect like they're explaining to you you know how much you should save and and why and like what are different things that are important blah blah and it's it's a brilliant example a really, really brilliant example is one that i use every time when i say this is this is where we need to be like i send i send the work salary man as, a, as an example love it I want to check it out. Yeah. Um, cool. And so, so one topic I want to talk about now is hiring because uh, we've got this Slack community and everyone's talking about how difficult it is to hire. People yeah. are calling it the great resignation. <laughs> I know. Um, I know it's, it's, it's funny, um, but it's also, it's difficult. And some people are saying that what we need is, is retraining, like people who are in different uh, industries to retrain them into fintech somehow. Mm. I don't know. What, what has been your experience and have you actively gone out to try and retrain people? How have you, how have you been with hiring? Has it been a problem and how have you solved it? I think it's, you know, it's been a problem for a number of reasons. And, and like to your point, I think in the US, uh, in, in August or September, we saw that 5.1 million people resigned, which is the highest number of people who resigned in the last, like, in one month in the last, like, 30 or 40 years, which is insane. And, like, we, can, we could probably discuss the root cause of this at length, but it's not, it's not, it's not a purpose. 
I think it's probably different from one ge- one region to the to the other as well. Like from one instance, from my friends, for instance, in Belgium, really really hard to hire marketers uh, for fintechs or in financial services in Belgium. Uh, and if you're one, you get fifteen to twenty people contacting you every month to ask if you want to change up or if you want you know a new 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 opportunity. So it's like wow. a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, turnover, uh, which isn't good. It's not. It's not good. I don't think it's good necessarily for for anyone. I think in Asia, um, we've seen the rise of like the the landscape in Asia is very different, right? Uh, everybody wants to be fintech in Asia, so all the big mm. e-commerce players are going into fintech. Grab, sorry, food delivery. It's a super app now. It's a massive fintech, the massive payment. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, right? In the sense that. Um, in Southeast Asia, maybe not in Singapore, but the rest of Southeast Asia is very low credit card uh, um, penetration rate, right? So all these players need to be innovative in the way that uh, they accept payments. And so one way to accept payments is to create your own wallet that people can top up and you give them unique benefits and stuff like that. And so it creates that, that ecosystem where like everybody's like going into payments and fintech. Um, and so it's a lot more competitive in terms of hiring talents for, uh, for, for, for these positions. What we're seeing as well as that, for instance, like company like TikTok, which is massive in Asia, is probably like super massive in, uh, in in Europe as well, is hiring like all the best people, and they're paying them a lot better or you know more than uh, than the market rate. Um, and so you know these are like different factors that make it hard for uh, anyone to hire in the market right now. I think what's really going to make a difference uh, in attracting talents is is going to be the benefits or you know like come like sort of employee happiness uh, uh, strategies that you put into place. And so I think the standards the standards have been set by companies like Facebook, by Netflix and stuff like that. And so, you know, when you're in Netflix and you can take one year of paid leave uh, when, when, when you become parent, it's uh, very, very likely that you're going to change or you're going to switch company uh, anytime soon uh, to go somewhere where you're going to be given 10 days of parent, parent leave, right? And so I think it's pushing everyone to be better there's still a lot of friction, right? Uh, still, like lots of talks about the four days work week, not a lot of action on the four days work week, which I'm like a big believer in. But you know, we'll, we're probably not not going to get there. But like for us, I'm, I'm going to talk about like big base specifically. Uh, we're doing as much as we can in order to uh, create like a healthy work environment where, where, where people can come in and feel like, you know, there's a work-life balance, there's responsibilities at the same time, provide that balance of like, okay, I'm actually in a company that that's like where my experience is going to be super valuable because that company is going to move into new countries and expand and stuff like that. So whatever I'm doing here, it's going to look really good. It's going to help me in the future on my, on my CV and resume. And I think at the same time, it's, uh, you know, it's allowing people to come in and, 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 and bring their expertise and bring the freedom. Like one thing I always try and do when I hire people is like, I look for the people that are most different to me as possible. And it's a real strength through a team. And it's something that actually like self-nurturing at some point, because people come in, they meet other people from the team. Like, well, this team's actually like, you know, like super different, but like all driven by, 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 by the same sort of passion. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a hard, compromise of like pushing internally as you know as an internal stakeholders to do things better for employees at the same time i think like paying people fairly and providing them like a healthy work uh, uh work environment and at the same time like giving them perspective around growth within the companies like how are people good like what's the next stage of their career for uh for, for, for them uh you don't want to you know go somewhere and like 
not necessarily be sure like or where, where you can move up or even not necessarily up but like to decide like you know you if if you're in social media you want to explore partnerships like if you know that you can do this and it's it's encouraging company uh then i think there's a higher likelihood that you're going to pick one company over the other where, where where things are more static i don't know i mean i i think you know i went into a lot of different <laughs> different sure. topics um so I, I hope my answer makes sense but yeah I mean, from what I understand, it's basically the standards are higher. And yeah. if you want to hire good quality, then you need to increase your, you know, your package, improve your package. That's Yeah, improve it. your, like your, you know, attractiveness as, a, as, as an employer. Uh, and I think people are much more mindful now of, of mental health. Uh, mm. because of lockdowns and stuff like that yep, and yep. of work-life balance because of having worked from home for so long where there's so yep. little barrier between you know your bedroom and your home office which is sometimes the same room um so you know being able as an employer to show that we care about this and we encourage people to like care about it as well is is probably going to be key in the future for hiring uh, talents i think yeah for sure. And that's super exciting. And for you yourself too, I don't know, uh, are you allowed to talk about your career change or is it not announced yet? Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine to talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, and so for you too, you are going to experience a change in like, um, uh, environment and, uh, company. So yeah. Let, tell us your, what, what is the big career move that you're doing? Like big base been the most, um, interesting professional experience of, uh, of, 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 of my entire career uh, in terms of nice. personal growth, in terms of uh, professional growth, development, and all these things. It's been incredible. I can't be like, I'm, I'm super thankful for uh, even my time in Southeast Asia being exposed to that, you know, uh, completely different culture, environment, having to rethink um, the way I interact with coworkers, uh, teammates, uh, people who report to me. Uh, it's, it's, it's brought me a wealth of thoughts around how I used to do things, how I can do things better and all these things. So it's been incredible. Um, but I think, as I was saying, like lockdowns, COVID, uh, you know, make you makes you rethink a lot of things. And so being away from my family for five years. And so we had a son with my wife uh, about a year ago, we just turned one um, and successful, like just, you know, one lockdown after the uh, the, uh, the the other, um, we just decided it was time for us to be closer to family. Um, so we're moving back to Belgium, hopefully in the next month or so. Uh, fingers crossed, everything goes well. My wife being British, it's not easy to go back to uh, the EU now. Thank you, Brexit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm going to be starting for a b2b company which is a big change for me it's the first time working for a, a b2b startup or not Ooh. sorry i mean it's 10 years old but it's a fintech as well um that provides digital extra legal advantages so you know in belgium because taxes are relatively high uh employees are always looking for ways to give more purchasing power, buying powers for employees. And so one of the ways they can do this by doing like meal, uh, you know, meal allowance. Uh, so you have a certain amount mm. per day of work yeah. uh, and people used to do it like with like paper checks. Um, but now uh, everything's going digital. And so that company was one of the first companies in Belgium to go digital and do it digitally. Um, and so after 10 years, they're still doing like really well, still growing, a lot of ambitions. Um, and so I'll be joining them uh, December 1st and starting with them December 1st. There's a lot of challenges, wow. a lot of learning for me. And like, you know, change of country again, change of mm -hmm. culture, uh, B2, B2C to B2B. Um, 
but I'm super excited. I think it's yeah. uh, you know it's uh, it's one of the next uh, next big stage of, uh, of of my career, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it sounds super exciting, and I'm looking forward to hearing how like the the change goes from B two C to B two B. I wonder you'll have different challenges, but it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to apply what you've learned in the B two C world and. Because at the end of the day, B2B is, you know, we're still targeting people. So yeah. it is different, but like there's still some things that transfer over. So it'll be really interesting to see how you apply that knowledge and yeah, work at for the sure. and do that. And I think, I mean, you know, even when you're working B2B, like it's B2B to C, right? These companies are right, working yeah. with employees and, 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 and people. And so you need to be attracted, like, you know, if you can sell what, what it's going to look like for the end user, it's probably a good thing. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Jonathan, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to see what you're up to and follow your journey and read your, your Medium posts. And um, yeah, it's been awesome. So, and maybe see, I don't know, one day in person because you'll be in Europe yeah. now. See you again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, thanks for everything you're doing for the FinTech community. And, uh, um, you know, I've been following your work as well and, uh, and uh, super excited to see what's, uh, what's coming. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com and then click on podcast. We've also got a fintech marketing Slack community where you can meet fellow fintech marketers and founders, ask podcast guest questions ahead of a show and attend exclusive online events with industry experts. We'd love to see you in there hear your feedback and learn about the challenges you're currently facing in your role. To join, head to fintechmarketinghub.com forward slash Slack. That's all for today. See you in the Slack. Slack.